Today is a special day, and it has nothing to do with Christmas. Let me tell you why today is special. It's not because it's the Sunday before Christmas. Today is special because for the last, well, little over, a little over 103,000 weeks, the children of God have gathered together on the Lord's Day to commune and to worship and to sing songs of praise and to pray, um, pay homage to our Maker and the one who gave his life for us. Have you ever thought, Darren just said in his prayer, you know, God has, has set a time and it's been a long time since, you know, he said Jesus is coming back. It's been literally a little over 103,000 weeks since uh, Jesus was here. And um, for those 103,000 weeks, every week, the people of God somewhere in this world, everywhere in this world, gather together and do what we're doing today. I think that's just an overwhelming, an awesome thought to think that what we're doing today has been going on for the last 103,000 weeks in human history. And we're here today to pay homage to God like we were last week and like we will be doing next week if if the Lord uh, delays in his coming. Um, there are, however, a lot of people that at this time of the year, they're thinking about the birth of Jesus and... Um, they hold that day a little more special than other days. Um, the Lord's Day is special, period, because it's a day that the Lord has said, I want you to remember me and to commemorate my death, burial, and resurrection with these elements that we just uh, partook of in just a little bit ago. But I do want to do this. I want to talk about the birth of Jesus or some lessons about that, or coming from that theme, because that's where people are. It's not that I hold that day up any higher than any other day, or celebrate it in some religious fashion, but I do believe, as did Philip with the Ethiopian nobleman, when he was saying, you know what, I've been reading this passage, it comes from Isaiah 53, and I don't get it. What What is this all about? Um, who is the author talking about? And you know what Philip did? He got up in the chariot and he began at that same scripture and he preached Jesus to him. In other words, he started where he was and he talked about Jesus. I want us to be able to do that at any time of the year and in any context to take people where they are and begin there and talk to them about Jesus. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I know there are a lot of people thinking about the birth of Jesus. And so I'm just going to, to piggyback on that and say, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about Jesus. You know, in, in um, Matthew chapter 1, there is recorded for us the birth of Jesus and the events leading up to it. And if you have your Bible, you can look at Matthew chapter 2 and you, you read that there were some wise men from the east and they saw the star. And they said, the Christ has come. And so they made their way to Bethlehem. They, they, they go to Jerusalem first. They meet with King Herod. 
And uh, he's like, well, what are you here for? Well, we're looking for and want to pay homage to this king that was born. And they say, he's curious about that. What about this king? You say a king's been born. Um, when and where and when you find him, would you mind telling me? Because I want to go worship him too. That wasn't his motive, as you know. But so the wise men went on into Bethlehem and found Jesus. And if you'll notice in verse 11, they found him in a house, which means that it's a later time. You know, so much, and again, it just serves to know, it's, it, it may be a trivia point, you can call it what you want, but it serves to remind me and to warn me and, and to cause me to be careful in my studies that we can often believe things that are not in the Bible. We can often believe things because they've been repeated over and over and over again. That's all we see in our culture. Listen, go down the road, drive a little ways, and you'll find a nativity scene somewhere. And I guarantee you in that nativity scene there will be wise men standing there with a baby Jesus in the the manger and mom and dad and a couple donkeys and so forth. The wise men weren't there, folks. They didn't make it there the night that Jesus was born. The wise men weren't at the nativity scene. They come later and they come to Jerusalem to begin with and say, we saw where this has taken place. The child has been born. We want to go worship him. And they went to Bethlehem. And when they finally did get there, he wasn't in a manger. He was in a house by this time. That's where they saw him. And uh, so, you know, it just, again, it, it reminds me, I need to be a student for myself and make sure that what I've taught, been taught and what I believe is really rooted in Scripture and not in tradition that, that men have uh, perpetuated. But these men came to worship Jesus, rightly so. I don't know how they knew about the star. You can't find a verse that says, when the Messiah is born, there will be a star that hovers over where he, the Bible doesn't say that. So how did these wise men come to the knowledge that Jesus was born and it was signified by this star? Um, I would say that God gave them some revelation that we're not privy to. Because they came and said, this is it. And when they found that star, they, they found the child. So, you know, I'd like to know more about that, but we're just not given any information on it at all. I do know that these wise men told Herod when he inquired about it, he said, well, they quoted to him what the scripture said. He would become born in Bethlehem. He should have known that. But these wise men recognized the birth of this king, and they knew that he was worthy of worship. And here's what I want to say today. You don't have to be a wise man in the sense that those men were to realize that Jesus is worthy of our worship and our adoration. And I'd like to take us back to um, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. If you have your Bible, go ahead and flip back to that passage because there is in that statement a prophecy concerning the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. And it says in that verse, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want us to look at those those descriptions, those names given to Jesus this morning and just say a few things about them. Because of those appellations that are given to him, uh, well, you can say today, just as it was then that wise men were seeking Jesus, wise men still today seek him. And when they find him, they are humbled and they worship in his presence. Let's look at the first word. The, the prophet Isaiah said, his name shall be wonderful, full of wonder. And I can see why that would apply to Jesus. When you examine the life and the work of Jesus, how can you not say that it is wonderful, that he was wonderful? Jesus is wonderful, and I'll just give you three reasons. There are hosts we could spend all day talking about why Jesus is full of wonder. But I'll give you three. Because of what he did, or that from which he saved us, that for which he saved us, and that with which he saved us. Think about that. Why is Jesus wonderful? Because of that which, from which he saved us. Do you know what the Bible says about sin? Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. And he's not talking about you're going to grow old one day and you're going to die. That, that's not the death that he's talking about. Because I know people that die physically that have never sinned. Do you, you know of any children that have ever died? Any infants, any babies that have, that have died, they didn't die because of sin. He, he's not talking about physical, he's talking about spiritual death in this passage. The person who sins, he'll die spiritually. Do we understand what that means? It's not a walk in the park. We've minimized and belittled and diminished the concept of hell in our culture. We don't like to talk about it. Churches have banned it. They, they, they've expunged it from songs uh, and, and uh, ideas. And, and there are popular notions today that just says there is no hell. Annihilation. That's what you, you, you just never wake up when you die. And that's what hell is. It's just never waking up again. That's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures speak of consciousness. It speaks of torment. You can't torment something that is not conscious, that has no uh, awareness. That, that, that happens um, to those who have awareness. And it's forever. A devil's help. God, Jesus, saved us from an eternity in a devil's hell. He's wonderful that, for that. But he's also wonderful for that which he saved us, you know, that for which he saved us, um, heaven. We, we get to spend eternity in a place of bliss. I can't describe heaven for you. I, I know you can turn in your Bible and you can read about some descriptions of it given in the book of Revelation. And, and you have to understand that Revelation is figurative, uh, just, you know, we're not going to be physical being, flesh and blood, bones, you know, that, that's not the kind of body we're going to be. So we're not going to be literally walking on streets 
of gold or a, a crystal sea and walls of jasper and a gate made of one giant pearl that swings open. Those are descriptive terms to try to impact in my mind how beautiful this place is going to be. How can I, how could you tell someone, a pilgrim from the 1600s, how could you tell them about airplanes? They'd never flown in one. They'd never seen one. They didn't exist. How might you explain to them? You, you might start by saying, see that bird? You know, you take something they're familiar with and try to draw a comparison to help them grasp it. I think that's what Jesus is doing in the book of Revelation with John, saying, let let me give you some things that you're familiar with that you value highly. That's heaven better than you can imagine. I mean, in a place where the road, where pavement is made of gold, that's hard to comprehend. I mean, pavement, that's... You walk on that, but it's made of the most valuable thing that we treasure here on earth. Does that not give you some idea as to the beauty of heaven, the grandeur of heaven? Jesus saved us from hell. He saved us for heaven, and he saved us with his own life. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 says that uh, he purchased his church, which will someday be handed to, to the Father, as a bride adorned uh, for his groom or for her groom, he said that um, it was purchased with his own blood. You know, why would Jesus leave heaven? Good question. And why would he live as a man while he's here? He could have still just kind of been God and, and had no humanity to him and suffer, but, but he did. And why did he allow himself to die even the death of the cross? I don't know. Other than to say that he was humble. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, uh, verses 5 through 9 actually tell us of the humility of Jesus and, and how he gave up all of that and became a man and died even the death of the cross so that we could be saved. Who do you know more wonderful than that? As a parent, how can you appreciate anyone more than Jesus when you realize what he's done for your children? Do you love your husband? Do you love your wife? Do you love your children? When you think of what Jesus did for your children... How can you not say he is wonderful? The second word that the Isaiah uses in, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 is counselor. And he is that. Counselor is someone who gives us, uh, gives us advice, helps to uh, direct our steps and give us uh, information that will make life better and easier for us. And if there was ever a counselor, it was Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Jesus 
you know, he, he, he came and he shared with the apostles what he shared with them, what they were able to bear in his personal ministry. And then he said, you know what, it's time for me to go. And I know that I haven't given you everything I wanted to say, but here's what I'm going to do. When I leave, I'm going to send the Spirit, and He's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. And He's going to finish, and He's going to take what is mine and give to you. And, and that's what we have. That's, that's the Word of God. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And look at what it does. Look at how it counsels. If you're ignorant... If you don't know what God's will is for your life, if you don't know anything about God and who it is, who He is and who you need to be in light of who He is, the Word of God is profitable for teaching. You see, it has something to say to those who don't know. I just don't know what to do with my life. I don't know how to live. I don't know who to serve. I don't know. Well, then pick up the Bible. It's profitable for doctrine, for teaching. It also is profitable for the willful sinner. You know, there are some people that are wrong because they just don't know any better. They don't know what to do. But there are some people that are wrong because they choose to be wrong. And they have violated the will of God. They are willfully doing the opposite of what God said. Jesus is a counselor to that person as well. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. The person who willfully violates the word of God is counseled by Jesus saying, stop it, change, do better. There's judgment coming. The the word of God is profitable for the unintentional sinner. It's profitable for correction. Hey, I know you're not trying to do wrong, but listen, what instead of doing that, do this. Look at 1 Corinthians, this church, they're followers of Jesus, and they've got so many things wrong. And so Paul writes to them and says, listen, you got this wrong, but here's how you fix it. You see, it's profitable for the unintentional sinner, and it's also profitable for the one that just needs encouraged. I've been at this, I've been trying to do it, and I'm discouraged, and I I look at what goes on in the world, and I look at what some of my brethren are doing and saying, and, and I just, I get tired and He gives counsel to them as well. It's profitable for instruction. Um, Hang in there. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep on keeping on. And so you see, uh, who, who does the Bible not address? The sinner, the intentional sinner, the unintentional sinner, those who need instruction, those who need build up. It's all there. Jesus is our counselor. But he also says he's wonderful, he's our counselor, he's called our mighty God. There are people, religious people, who kind of choke on this. Because they don't see Jesus as God, they see Jesus as a being created by God. But that diminishes him. That is not the picture of Jesus at all. Jesus is God himself. He is a part of the Godhead. When Jesus came and lived among us, look look at what it says, John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And in verse 14 it says, that Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What we saw when Jesus came to earth was God Himself. 
He was the express image of God the Father. Jesus was in the flesh. Um, he's a mighty God. It was in him that the worlds were created. It is in him, well, Daniel pictures it this way. You know, God has your breath and he holds it in the palm of his hand. I mean, you owe, the, the fact that you rolled out of bed this morning, you owe to this mighty God who sustains you and keeps you alive and gives you yet another day to live. He is the God who made all things. And whenever you look in Scripture and, and you, you see the gods of men, he is so much stronger has never lost a battle to those false idols. He's always proven himself to be the mighty God. The everlasting Father. Now again, that's not to suppose that Jesus is the Father, the Son is the Father. There is that Godhead and those assumed roles that they took in that Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, that's not saying that Jesus was God the Father. What it has reference to is his place in creation, in eternity. Listen, the Bible tells us in John 1, verse 3, that everything that was made was made by Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, it tells us again that Jesus made everything that was made. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, God the Father appointed his Son to make all things. So it's in that sense that Jesus can be said to be the Father uh, because it's from him and that, that all things consist, that, that they exist. He brought them into being. And in that sense, he is our everlasting Father, our Creator. But think of what that entails. He's God. He's deity. He's, he's not just a man that lived among us 2,000 years ago. He always existed. He is the cause of all causes. He's not just a created being. He's not an angel. He's not just a man. He is God himself. And, and that is a mind-boggling thing to me. When I consider that God creates it all and he's sitting back here and looking at this Universe that is too vast for us to even comprehend. But to him, it's all within the working of his hands. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take and put on flesh. And I'm going to go live among these people that I just created. And, and I'm going to live for 30-some years with them. And I'm going to show them what I'm like by doing this. And to think that God lived among us. And as Edwin said the other night when he was teaching the book of John, he talked about how that the most holy man that ever walked the face of the earth was put to death because people thought he was unholy. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. But that's the truth. He is our mighty God. He is our everlasting Father. And finally, he closes by saying he is our Prince of Peace. Matthew chapter 10 tells us that Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. 
And I guess the answer to that, he's also called the Prince of Peace here in this passage. So how, how is that? How do we reconcile that? Well, the answer is this. Listen, if you listen to Jesus and do what he says, he will bring peace in your life. But if you fight and, and, and rebel against him, he won't let you get your sleep at night. He will be a disturber. You will not have peace of mind, and he won't bring peace to your life. So he can be both. Prince of peace as well as one who disturbs us and causes conflict in our life. Jesus is peace. He brings peace with uh, each other. I mean, people of warring backgrounds can become a child of God and they get along. Jew and Gentile could come together and be a part of the same church and sit right next to each other and rub shoulders and share a songbook and be brothers in Christ. But weeks earlier, they might not have had anything to do with each other. That's the kind of peace that Jesus brings, Ephesians 2 and verse 14. Jesus brings peace with us and God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 reminds us of that. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And that's the most important. Wow, can you imagine being on the bad side of God, being an enemy of God? That is precisely what we were and who we were and where we were prior to Jesus. And he gives peace to ourselves. You can pillow your head at night in peace. Knowing that no matter what your circumstances are, this is short-lived and I'm going home. Someday I'm going to be with Jesus. Someday I'm going to be in a place of heaven where there is no more pain and nothing to disturb me like the events of this world. Listen, when life gets hard and when you get overwhelmed, I know what I do. Because I have Jesus. But I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have Him. Where does the world find peace within themselves? The Bible tells us in Philippians 4 and verse 7 that Jesus will bring a peace that will allow us to guard our hearts with it. And life can get crazy. But I always have Jesus. And that gives me comfort. And I can deal with my circumstances. So as Isaiah looked forward to the coming of this child, he said his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And now as we look back, well, look back a hundred and a little more than 103,000 weeks, that man came. That child was born, and he is worthy of worship. The wise men of his day sought him out because they saw the sign, whatever that sign was that God gave them, how they were able to identify that star as being, this is why, this is him, Uh, this is he. I I don't know. Uh, God informed them, I guess. But they recognized who he was, and they said, we must go and worship. We must pay homage. Wise men still seek him. Um, He is Lord. 
He is King of Kings. He is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And those who are wise will seek him. But listen, let me tell you this. You can't seek him in any old fashion. If you want to pay homage to Jesus, you, you don't do it by putting up a tree in your house. You don't do it by having a celebration one time a year and talk about Jesus. Let, let me tell you how you honor Jesus and you worship him. It's found in John chapter 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In John chapter 15 and verse 14, he said, you're my friend if you do what I tell you. You want Jesus to be your friend? You want to honor Jesus? Then do what he says. He's worthy. He's proven himself to be worthy. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet his child, if you've not yet obeyed him, uh, now's the opportunity to take that step, to show your homage and your wisdom in recognizing him to be the Messiah. And if you're not yet baptized into Christ, we'll assist you in that this morning. But if you are and you need to respond just because you haven't been living like you should and you want the prayers of your brethren, um, Maybe there's some things in your life that you just need to get off your back and come clean and say, enough, I want to give, get rid of this, I want to be forgiven. We'll pray with you if that's the case. Won't you come as we stand together and sing?